You may be seated. Both of those hymns, Trust and Obey, I guess that's not the name of it, but when we walk with the Lord, but Trust and Obey, and this one, um, To Be Still My Soul, The Lord is on Your Side, um, certainly uh, could be uh, written from this part of Deuteronomy, though they are not, um, but uh, certainly could be. Okay, so by way of review, uh, remember there are four parts to Deuteronomy. We're in the first part, that's Moses' first message. Again, he is um, on the other side of the Jordan from the Promised Land, getting ready to, or instructing those who are ready to go into the land. Um, And one of the first things he does is to remind them of where they have been for the last almost 40 years, and how they got to this place, um, and to encourage them um, to um, make improvements on the reason that they are there now still after uh, 40 years, because they had been to this place before um, 38 plus years ago, and, and and Moses wants to encourage them not to make the same, same mistake over again. So he lays out this foundation in the first four chapters of Deuteronomy um, about where they have been. And we summarized the, the beginning last time is what do we know for sure? Again, going back over the history as a foundation for getting ready to cross and go into the promised land. What do we know? Um, for sure. Just um, read three verses from last week, and this will get us set up for, um, for tonight. The Lord our God said to us in Horeb, um, that is Mount Sinai or the Sinai region, you have stayed long enough at this mountain, turn and set out on your journey, and go to the hill country of the Amorites, and to all their neighbors in the Arabah, in the hill country, and in the low land, and in the Negev, and in the sea coast, the land of the Canaanites, and Lebanon, as far as the great river, that is the river Euphrates. See, I have set the land before you. Go in and take possession of the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob to give to them and to their offspring after them. So that was from 38 and a half years ago or so. Um, And then he repeats, don't forget that this is what I told you. Don't forget that this is there. So that's a good review for tonight. Um, Go in, take possession of the land. Now, if you have an ESV Bible you probably have the heading on this section, verses 19 to 33, is Israel's refusal to enter the land. I'd say that's not what they set out to do, um, but that is what they did. So how did they get to that point? How did they get to the point where they were setting out to go into the promised land and they end up refusing to go? Um, so that's what we're that's what we're going to talk about tonight. So uh, ESV has this broken into two paragraphs. 
We're going, to use, we're going to break it into three sections. The same paragraph that, that ESV has for the first one, which is verses 19 to 25. And then we'll group the next three together, 26, 27, and 28 um, together. And then, and then the last four verses um, will go together as well. So, um, we can, we can stick with this idea. What do we know for sure? Because Moses is going to tell us what we know for sure um, and actually even interpret some of what we know for sure. So, we know that the Lord has given us the land. Uh, that's the first part of this in verses 19 to 25. We know that you refuse to enter the land. And we know that there was, re- there was good reason to believe that believe the Lord. So, first, the Lord has given us the land. Then we set out from Horeb and went through all that great terrifying wilderness that you saw on the way to the hill country of the Amorites. As the Lord our God commanded us, and we came to uh, Kadesh Barnea. So, this is like when Moses, like when you're telling a story and you, with a friend, and you say, "Remember the time when we did this?" Moses said, "We went through this together." He starts off by saying, "We set out." You remember? He says you saw it. Um, You and it was a terrible journey, or at least through a terrible wilderness. So I don't know if any of you have ever been to Israel. I know some of you have been to Israel, but but I'm thinking particularly of over by the Dead Sea. Um, As you you go from Jerusalem down to the Dead Sea and then head um, south, and you see on your on the Jerusalem side, on the west side, this, this this intimidating landscape that you think that there's just no way anybody could survive there. Well, that's the direction to Kadesh Barnea. Um, that direction, and so. Um, Deuteronomy, or Moses later in Deuteronomy, describes the wilderness this way. He led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the, out of the flinty rock. So just think about that. He's going through this wilderness, and, and Moses makes sure um, later on to make a note that He made water there. God brought water out of the rock. But it was a terrible place. Um, And we went through that together. That's what what Moses said. And, And the Lord, because the Lord commanded us to. We did that at the word of the Lord. Because of what he said to do. So where is Kadesh Barnea? Um, well, you might be able to find it in one of the maps in, in your Bible, in the back of your Bible. Again, I like this map um, from Tigay. Um, it's way down here in the south part of this map. As you can see, um, Kadesh Barnea, 
You can see right above it is the Negev. That is a, that is a wilderness area. And down below it, you can see it says the wilderness, wilderness of Zin. Uh, and so they had been here 38 years ago. This is where they were going to enter the, the promised land. It is a good way into the promised land. But there are other ways in there. So remember when we were here and something went terribly wrong. And I said to you, you have come to the hill country of the Amorites, which the Lord our God is giving us. So he makes a point to say the Lord our God has, is giving us this land. He's already said the Lord our God has already given us this land. Um, and so let's take another look at the map. Um, so here is, in blue, is the hill country of the Amorites. So they're right there. They're right by the hill country of the Amorites. Um, and Moses probably here intends to represent all of Canaan, all of this land as being where they are. But it's, they are particularly in this place. And, and he points it out for... A reason he calls it the the hill country of the Amorites. Often it's referred to as the land of Canaan, or Canaan, or the Canaanites, and a bunch of other people. But here, the Amorites. And I said, "You have come to the hill country of the Amorites." So the Amorites um, were are described in the prophet Amos this way. His height was like the height of cedars, and he was strong as the oaks. So the Amorites are an intimidating people, coming through an intimidating wilderness into a land of intimidating people. But God has promised Israel the land which the Lord our God is giving us. See, the Lord your God has set the land before you. So so as a reminder, what land are we talking about? Um, well, we saw it at the beginning in Deuteronomy chapter um, 1, verses 6-7. Um, it's also referred to in Exodus, and I'm just going to... Uh, point that out from Exodus uh, as well. This is at the burning bush. So, a hundred and, well, maybe not quite, a, about 80 years ago, no, 40, 40 plus years ago at the burning bush, Moses was about 80 years old, that's what I meant to say. Uh, he was about 80 years old at that time. Um, at the burning bush, it says this. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt. And I promise I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites, 
the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. So not even mentioning the Amorites at that point. But let's go back a little further. 500 years earlier, probably. Um, In Genesis chapter 15, um, verses 18 through uh, the end of the chapter, um, which is about four verses. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land. I give it. From the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. So this is the same land he's describing, right? The land of the Kenites and the Kenizzites and the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites and the Rephaim, the Amorites and the Canaanites, the Girgashites and the Jebusites. I want to point two of those out to you in that long list. Again, it's a, it's a different list. There are different people there. But he points out these two. The Rephaim, or I'm pointing that out to you, and the Amorites. The Amorites are the ones that that we are in the hill country of right now. The Rephaim and the Ammonites. So clear back in in Genesis um, to Abraham, this is the land. So go up and take possession as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has told you. Do not fear or be dismayed because the Amorites are big people. So don't be afraid. So the real issue is here when we talk about being afraid is do we trust God? Do the the Israelites trust God? Do they believe him? that he is going to give them the land? Do we believe him more than what we see in front of us? That's, that's the real issue. Then all of you came near me and said, Let us send men before us, that they may explore the land for us. And bring us word again by, way, by the way by which we must go up and the cities into which, which we shall come. So you see what they want to see. They want to, they want to know more about the land and they want to know more about the cities. Right? They want to know where they are going. So the question is, is this a lack of faith for them to ask to send out people to explore the land. Shouldn't they just trust and obey? God said go, so just go. So they, they certainly wanted to check out the land to see um, if it was as good as God said it was. Uh, and probably for military purposes, they, that's why they would care about the, the cities. So was this a good thing or a bad thing? Does it show a lack of faith or is it, is it just prudence? Well, Jesus talked about the idea of being prudent, of counting the cost. In Luke fourteen thirty one, it says this, Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first 
and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. So Jesus advocates us um, knowing what we're doing, right? Um, So next verse, the thing seemed good to me. And I took 12 men from you, one man from each tribe. So Moses thinks this is a good idea to go. So, and this is obviously about sending the spies out into the land. Well, this is also recorded in the story you're you're more familiar with in this Deuteronomy passage um, is from Numbers. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers chapter 13. And this is how that starts out. So remember how this started out. They, they come and they ask him if they can have permission, if he will give them, will send them spies. Here's what it says in the beginning of Numbers 13. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving the people of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers, you shall send a man, every one a chief among them. So are these things disagreeing? Here it's the command of the Lord that sent them out. And there it's they ask. Well, I don't think there's any problem with that whatsoever. Um, they can ask, and, and Moses can say yes, uh, because the Lord told him to. Right? It's, it's that simple. Most of these things that people try to think are contradictory in, in the Old Testament, we just have to realize that in Deuteronomy, Moses is, has a different purpose. So he might bring out a different emphasis than he did in Numbers. So there are 12 spies or, or scouts, um, as Daniel Block calls them, scouts that get sent out. Uh, and, and in Numbers, where we just were, there's a lot of, lot of time spent on the 12 spies. It goes clear from verse 2 until verse 16. Here, this is all, the only mention of it. Right here that we see. Sent out 12. They're named in Numbers, for example. Well, the emphasis is just different. And you'll see that in a few minutes. And they turned and went up into the hill country, and they came to the valley of Eshkol and spied it out. And they took in their hands some of the fruit of the land and brought it down to us and brought us word again and said, It is a good land that the Lord our God is giving us. So, They agree that the land is good. The 12 spies all agree. They all agree in in numbers as well that this is really, really a good land. Um, It is everything that that God promised us and and probably more uh, than, than we thought it would be. So what do we know next? We know that Moses told them, you refused to enter the land. Yet you would not go up, but rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. So notice here, this is important. There is no bad report yet. Moses hasn't relayed to them 
the bad report. He's going to tell him about it. Um, but he hasn't done it yet. Before he mentions the bad report, he says, you guys refused. Why would that be? What about the ten spies who later say, yeah, but. Well, it's not mentioned here. Instead, it's mentioned, you would not go up, but rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. Why is that? It's because they have all the information that they need to know already to make the right decision. We don't need to know the obstacles to make the right decision of whether or not we're going to follow God. We know this. He has given us the land. It's been repeated to us for more than 500 years. He's given us the land. The land is ours. And God has been faithful on his promises. You have seen him fulfill those promises. You have, you know his word. You know what he says. You've got all that you need to know. All the information you need and more, way more than you need to know to obey. Yet you would not go up, but rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. So, why doesn't Moses tell us about the bad report first? Well, it's because they have enough information to make it. And it doesn't matter. That's the point he's making. It doesn't matter. You don't need more information to decide to go up. And, and then we might say, well, we prayed for our government leaders tonight. Aren't we responsible to obey our, govern, our government leaders? Or how about our other leaders? Aren't we responsible to obey our leaders? Absolutely we are. But there comes a point when we are responsible to not follow our leaders. The leaders are responsible. Yes, they are for the way they lead. So the 12 spies and, and the, lead, the others that they convince are all responsible for this. But the command to go up isn't only given to the leaders. It's given to all the people, they have the word of God too. Not in written form, but they are responsible to follow it. They're responsible for Israel not going up also. Well, how about us? What about us? Who is responsible when we don't trust God? Well, certainly um, leaders can lead us astray. But, but here he says that you rebelled against the command of the Lord. So how do we think about God's word to us? So um, really good, good quote. It's actually a, more than a sentence. Um, I was reading with one of my sons, um, uh, John Frame's systematic theology book, um, and, and came to one of the chapters dealing with the Word of God. And just this just struck me. 
And I think of people uh, in my life that, that understood the word of God this way and, and tried to get others to understand the word of God this way. And here it is in a systematic theology book. Here's, the, here's part of that, that chapter. Um, we should think of God's word as a personal communication from him to us. Stop and think about that for a minute. So when we read Deuteronomy, we should read it not with the idea we want to find out what happened in history to find out what happened in history. Deuteronomy is a personal communication from God to me. In this other book that he has, I presented this as a general way of thinking about the word of God, the personal word model. Think of God speaking to you as a real person would, as directly as your parents, your spouse, your children, your friends. And down a little bit further. When God speaks, his word carries authority. It means it imposes obligations. When God commands, he expects us to obey. When he brings information, we are to believe believe him. When he promises, we should embrace those promises. That goes for every one of the people in Israel, and that goes for every one of us. We should think of God's word as a personal communication from him to us. Yet, you would not go up, repeated, but rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. And you murmured in your tents and said, Because the Lord hated us, he has brought us up from the land of Egypt to give us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. So why did God bring them up out of Egypt? Well, here's their interpretation. Because the Lord hated us. He brought us up out of the land of Egypt. To give us this land, or to give us into the hand of the Amorites Amorites, and to destroy us. Well, let's go back to Exodus. I don't think you can state it any more, any better than this. This is from Exodus 6. God's going to tell Israel why he is bringing them out of Egypt. Here it is. God speaking to Moses. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am Yahweh, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you will know that I am Yahweh your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you to the land, into the land that I swore to give to Abraham to Isaac and to Jacob, I will give it to you for a possession. I am Yahweh. That's why he brought them up out of Egypt, to specifically to give them this land. 
not to give them into the hand of the Amorites, and they knew this, right? We know this. We're responsible for knowing this, that, that God, this is the word of God. So, but here they murmured in their tents. I don't know if all the versions say murmured. Murmured is a good word. Um, have you ever murmured in your tent? Another way you could say complain. Um, have you ever, do you murmur the same things over and over again? Like at different times. Um, I'm pretty sure that I murmured last night. And I think all I'll have to do is say a little sentence and Brenda will confirm that I murmured last night. I was working on a project at home last night. <laughs> That's all we need to say. Brenda knows. <laughs> I was murmuring. She'd heard the same thing over and over again, murmuring in a tent. If the world were just free of home improvement projects, um, that would that would that would solve it. Well, and, but I did because I'd been in this passage. Think think this. But you rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. And having this in front of us helps us to. Stop murmuring, even if we don't stop at the beginning, to learn to quit rebelling against the command of the Lord our God. Verse 28, when are we going up? Where are we going up? Our brothers have made our hearts melt. Finally, something about the leaders. The people are greater and taller than we. The cities are great and fortified up to the heavens. And besides, we have seen the, san, the sons of the Anakim there. So the leaders aren't off the hook. We're not off the hook because of the leaders. And this is why Moses mentions the hill country of the Ammonites. They are big. Um, also, he mentions the Anakim, who are... Rephaim that were mentioned to Abraham earlier on. And, and we're going to see Rephaim again in Deuteronomy in the next few weeks. So I don't know, I was in the Israel Museum one, one time with Brenda and we were looking at some things, some really old skeletons. They would have been pre-Moses skeletons. But what we are amazed at is how tiny they were. Like, I would, I would guess four and a half feet tall. Not very big. Not very big. Again, this would have been predating Moses. Well, I've never seen a skeleton of the Rephaim. But there are existing skeletons from about the time of Moses 
of people in this area seven feet tall. Not a lot of them, but there are some. Seven feet tall. That's pretty tall. And we have seen the Anakim there. So what about the report of the ten spies? The ones that melted our hearts. After all, 83.3% of the spies said, we shouldn't go in. Does that get us off the hook even a little bit? 83.3% of the spies said we shouldn't go in. Well, we're obligated to follow our leaders unless they're trying to get us to disobey God. Unless we have to come to the point where we say, is it, is it right before God to obey you or to obey him? So our society is changing rapidly. And if we're going to go by 83.3% of what the leaders think or the population thinks, we are in, we're in trouble already, right? So, so I looked this up just because with Life Chain, I was curious. What percentage of people in the United States think that abortion should be legal, at least in some cases? It exceeds 83.3% of people. Here's, I have it. Let me look at it real quick. 34%, it should be legal under any circumstances. 51%, that makes a total of 85%, legal under certain circumstances. 13%, not legal. We wouldn't want to base our decision about what we consider right and what we must do based on 83.3% or 85%. There is reason to believe the Lord, even though we refuse to go up or Israel refuses to go up. Then I said to you, do not be in dread or afraid of them. The Lord your God who goes before you will fight for you, just as he did for you in Egypt before your eyes. So we love verses like that. And there are several examples in Scripture. There are, there are at least three of them in Exodus that I can think of. So right before this, there are three of them in the book of Exodus. The Lord himself will fight for you. One was in the, when they were crossing the Red Sea. I'm going to fight for you. So he does, right? The Egyptians, all those chariots, overwhelming odds against them. And the Lord fights for them. And now we're here at the hill country of the Amorites. We should know that there is reason to believe the Lord when he tells us something. In the wilderness, where you have seen how the Lord your God carried you, as a man carries his son, all the way that you went until you came to this place. Now, 
I'm sure that that poster, that that wall hanging that everybody has seen, I'm sure everybody's seen it, called Footprints in the Sand, was taken from this. But this isn't in the sand. Well, it's in the sand, but it's not on a beach. This is in that terrible wilderness with fiery serpents and scorpions. But God is our Father. Moses puts that like a man carries his son through this place. It's it's a great picture. I know that there's a lot of bad things said about fathers in our society right now. There isn't much more comforting thing to think, really, than a father carrying his son in a place like that. We know that mothers do most of the work by far and carry the kids most of the time. But in a place like this, father carrying his son. So he's God our father who fights for us as well. So there's reason to trust him, reason to believe him. Yet in spite of his this word, you did not believe the Lord your God who went before you in the way to seek you seek you out a place to pitch your tents in fire by night and in the cloud by day to show you the way you should go. So, there's reason to believe the Lord. So what Moses is doing, don't forget, is... They're on the border of the promised land. And he's telling them, you've been here before. You've seen how it happened. So let's not make the same mistake again. There's a good reason for us to believe the Lord. That he is going to Fulfill his promises. Let's learn from last time. Let's make sure we go for and real go forward and realize that he's going to fight for us and realize that he has carried us through the wilderness and will continue to carry us. Um, and let's not be like our fathers. Because none of these people would have been in charge at that time, but many of them were there. I shouldn't say none of them. Caleb and Joshua would go with them into the promised land. But there is reason to believe the Lord, and we have even more. So let's, let's close in prayer uh, and then sing our final hymn. Father, we uh, thank you that in your word, in this, this word in Deuteronomy, you speak personally to us. Lord, I pray that we would see and understand the way that you speak to us by the indwelling and illumination of your spirit who is here to teach us and to comfort us and to advocate for us. 
Lord, we pray for compassion and for mercy for the times when we have rebelled against you. And pray that you would turn us into um, those who are ever increasing in faith and as a result, ever increasing in holiness and ever increasing in following you. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.